Five days after the Taliban took over Kabul, LA Times foreign correspondent and photographer Marcus Yam arrived in Afghanistan's capital to cover the aftermath. The country was in chaos after the city fell this month. Marcus came across a confrontation between Taliban members and protesters. He took out his camera and began to capture the scene. Things got heated fast, so Marcus got out of the line of fire. Then he felt a tug on his camera strap. Soon after, a fist to his head. Taliban fighters pummeled him to the ground. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's Thursday, August 26, 2021. The Pentagon orders all U.S. military members to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Vice President Kamala Harris visits Vietnam and urges a communist country to join the U.S. in challenging what she called China's bully. And the man who appeared on the cover of Nirvana's Nevermind album as a naked baby is now suing the band, alleging child pornography. I guess homeboy does mind. Twenty years ago this fall, the U.S. invaded Afghanistan. The war has stretched out over four presidencies. More than 170,000 people have died in the process, and it's cost American taxpayers at least $2 trillion. That's according to the Cost of War Project at Brown University. Then the U.S. stepped back this month, severely miscalculating how fast the Taliban would sweep in and retake power. President Joe Biden vows to get every U.S. citizen home before August 31st, the deadline the Taliban has given for American troops to leave the country or else. Meanwhile, the Taliban says Afghans are not allowed to leave. Taliban militants fired into the air in an effort to control the crowds gathered at the blast walls of Kabul International Airport. Earlier, Hasina Syed made it onto a flight to England. It was a very chaotic and terrifying situation for me, for every Afghan. I even didn't bring anything with me. I had only a small bag and my uh, paperwork, I, which I brought with myself. Are they going to stand by their own promises in regards of women education, women empowerment, human rights? The Taliban pledged to form an inclusive Islamic government. And today they released a photograph of a delegation meeting with former President Hamid Karzai, along with the head of Afghanistan's National Reconciliation Council. After the Taliban took over, they promised that they wouldn't be a repressive regime like the last time they were in charge, that they would allow certain rights for women and maintain a free press. But so far, that hasn't happened. Our photographer, Marcus Yam, was confronted by Taliban while reporting and was able to escape that encounter. He'll share his story and give us a ground-level view of what's happening in Afghanistan. The last time we talked to Marcus Yam, he and LA Times Middle East Bureau Chief Nabi Bulos had just gone on ride-along with the Afghan Air Force. Marcus and Nabi mentioned toward the end of that episode how the Taliban was barreling through Afghanistan on the march to regain control over a country that they last ruled 20 years ago. Now the organization is busy setting up a government, and Marcus remains in Afghanistan. Marcus, how are you holding up? I'm, uh, I'm all right. I'm sitting in a guest house in uh, central Kabul right now, and uh, things are sort of calming down at the moment. I think we've hit this weird, peaceful, uneventful lull right now where everybody's just figuring out what's going on. A lot of people have left the country, and, and, and a lot of journalists have left the country, and some journalists are trying to get back. And I think the Taliban are trying to figure out what to do with the government right now. And you can see there's not a lot of presence on the streets anymore just because everybody is uh, sort of in a weird hiatus, I would say. 
So you and Nabi were in Afghanistan in June to hang out with the Afghan Air Force, and then you returned to the country in August. So describe the change in mood that you saw among residents from then to today. I guess the change in mood I noticed was like there was a sense of panic in the air. I mean, like a fear, nervousness, anxiety. I arrived like, you know, literally right before the Taliban circled the city, basically, and right before they marched right in. I mean, there was still a strange calmness to it, even days before, to the point where I was actually like having dinner with a fellow colleague and we were talking about the possibility of the Taliban coming in and there was a sense of denial and some local Afghans telling me like, they won't come in, they will stop them at the gates. I don't think anybody believed that this would happen. Taliban actions are being watched closely now that they've retaken power in Afghanistan, where the signs are mixed and many remain skeptical. They are keeping the streets of the capital safe and calm, but it was a different scene in the eastern city of Jalalabad, where protesters took down the white Taliban flag and raised the black, red and green national flag. That drew a harsh response from Taliban on the scene, firing into the air and beating the protesters with sticks. I was uh, in the street with my driver inside the car when I got the call from one of the senior officials. They say that Hasina just uh, we lost Parwan, my area, uh, north side, and you have to get out, take your things, and just run. Marcus, you were out on assignment. You were covering a religious procession, a Muslim holiday, and then things got chaotic. On August 19th, I was out and about covering a religious holiday called Ashura. And there are several events, including a self-flagellation uh, event with knives and whips and all that stuff. And I was covering that as part of like a way of showing um, security that the Taliban is providing for the minority Shia Muslims. And when I stepped out of that event, I came across a large protest coming my way down one of the main streets heading into central Kabul. And I followed that march into a busy downtown square. The day that happened was actually Afghanistan's Independence Day, believe it or not. That's why there were like about 200 people marching down the street towards my direction, holding up the national Afghan flag. The national Afghan flag to them was a symbol of defiance to the Taliban because the Taliban wanted to replace the national flag with their flag of the Emirates. So about 200 people marched down towards me and they all started chanting, death to Pakistan, God bless Afghanistan. When they also added, long live the national flag of Afghanistan as a way to you know, protest against the Taliban. I mean, I'm following it and then things start to escalate. They climb up on top of a rock. They try to like raise the flag onto the flagpole. And as I climbed up on it to get a better view, I could actually see, you know, Taliban fighters get up from their seats from their guard posts at the government buildings around that circle. And then I started to see SUVs roll up with Taliban fighters and they jump off. And, and next thing you know, they encircled the protest. And I, along with a fellow colleague, just, you know, ran out of the protest basically to get out of the line of fire. I made a few pictures, ran across the other side of the street where I knew there would be cars in between in case something went down. And then that's when things really went south because I started to take pictures and out of nowhere comes this Taliban fight, big burly Taliban fighter who just basically sucker punched me in the side of the head. 
I was just knocked out for a second. I didn't even see that coming. I felt a tug of my camera set and then that was it. A kinetic connection between his fist and my, you know, head. And I was shocked and I looked at him and he was like, you know, screaming to me in the native language and, and was pointing at my camera, telling me to delete stuff. And I told him I'm with the media, I'm a journalist. And he basically wouldn't have it and he started assaulting me again. And I, at this point, I was just like trying to de-escalate, you know, just raise my arms, you know, really just like no sudden moves. And then I hear a gunshot ring out and all the attention goes back to the protest and he moves away. And I started to like step backwards ever so slowly, but not quickly. And then he turns around and sees that I've sort of moved and start just basically goes at it and takes one like hard whack. I'm at this point like severely confused and, and in pain and like basically was on my knees and says, please don't hurt me. <laughs> and I could see like he really just wanted me to, to really like stop taking pictures and also like delete my images and all that stuff. And I told him like, we're press, we're allowed to work here. Like you guys said that, you know, there'll be a free press and you know, we're international media. I could see him grabbing, you know, holding on, gripping his Kalashnikov even tighter. And that's when I realized like, I really need to just shut up and like not piss him off even more. We'll have more after this break. Marcus, so a Taliban member sucker punches you, then you get pummeled even more, and then you end up getting detained for a bit. What's going on through your mind as all of this is happening? I mean, a lot of things are going on in my mind. I mean, like the images I made, how do I secure them? Will they make me delete them? And I'm just thinking about like, oh, shit, I really don't want to delete these images. My mind is racing. So I had a contingency plan on how to secure these images. I just thought to myself, the best thing I could do really right now is to shut up and to just not draw any more attention to myself and let them calm down. Eventually, the big burly guy moved away. And the other Taliban fighter who also attacked a colleague of mine was there standing over us. And I called him Radio Taliban because he had a radio in his hand and he didn't really have a weapon on him. And he was talking on the radio with a bunch of people. He was like, you're obviously talking about us. I couldn't tell who he's radioing to. And like, he basically revealed he could speak English. He started to ask us to delete images. And I tried to reason with him as peacefully as we could. Like, look, we don't have to delete anything. This is just a protest, nothing happened. We are boy journalists, we are allowed to be here. And he could see we're clearly like in pain. I'm clearly like out of it. And after a while, you know, he moved us over onto the side of the road and, and started talking to us. And, and, and that's when he like asked us the million dollar question, who do you work for? After I said Los Angeles Times, and I think that's when he realized and he went, oh, and I could so, I see the expression of his face change. And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And then he runs off, brings us back a cold bottle of water and a can of uh, energy drink. Mine was a monster energy drink. I looked at it and I, I kind of scoffed and I was like, you know, what does he think? I'm an American soldier? Well, what? Like, you know, <laughs> because it's a pretty popular drink in the American military, especially in Afghanistan. Um, and having been on those bases and, 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 and hanging around soldiers, like, that's how I learned that. And then we talked for a while more and then we just told him, we tried to reason with him and, and basically said, I just want to go home, man. I, I don't want to go to a hospital. He offered to take us to a hospital. He offered to take us to, quote unquote, a safer place. 
And to me, a safer place in their language means detention. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't want to go to a safer place. I just want to go back to my office. And uh, after some negotiations, he asked me for my driver's number. I declined. I pulled out my burner cell phone, my little trusty Nokia cell phone, called my driver on that phone without you know, showing him the number and handed the phone over to him. And uh, that's when he coordinated with my driver and my driver showed up to pick us up, basically. At the end, once you're driving off with your driver, what's going on through your mind then? I mean, at that point, I started taking notes. I mean, I started like rolling on my cell phone. Um, I was just like recounting the events, basically, as fast as I can, you know, while my memory was fresh. I'm trying to like recall the details, you know, what Radio Taliban looked like what the bigger guy looked like and, and, you know, what had happened before that. So I was just taking notes and just like taking deep breaths. Me and my colleague and my driver, we were like literally kept quiet on the car ride back and just really like just, you know, looked at each other. It's like, you know what? Thank God we survived that. <laughs> Marcus, in your years as a reporter, what was another moment like what happened to you in Kabul? I don't think I've ever have had something like this happen to me in Afghanistan before. This is probably the first time I've ever got assaulted in Afghanistan. I mean, to be clear, I mean, all of this pales in comparison to what the Afghan people and what local Afghan journalists have gone through day in and day out, you know. I mean, I wanted to share the story partly because it sits in contrast to what the Taliban has basically promised. They have this PR campaign where they're promising the world that they're a change organization, that, you know, they are allowing education for women. You know, they're not making women wear burqas anymore. They, they're allowing, like, a lot of, like, modern ideas to enter, you know, to stay in society and also free press. But clearly, this is not the case. It's been really, really difficult to do our jobs, uh, especially for me as a photographer, where I feel like on the ground, most of the uh, infantry level Taliban fighters would stop me from taking pictures day in and day out almost. It's almost as if like taking pictures is as illegal as drinking alcohol here. Marcus, of all the narratives that are coming out of Afghanistan, which ones are true, which ones aren't, and which is the one for you that is definitely getting wrong out here in the United States? I mean, I think the narrative, I think... To be fair, I don't pay a lot of attention to social media. It's hard to do so uh, being in the field. Like I can't be scrolling Twitter and taking pictures and reporting at the same time. But I think one of the misconceptions I think that people make is that Afghans are either one side or the other. Like either they support the Taliban or they don't support the Taliban, which isn't true. There are plenty of Afghans who aren't even involved in, in the war, who are just like regular civilians who have no clue what's going on. And I think these are the people that are most at risk here because they, you know, they're innocent. I mean, they're, they're not in conflict. Uh, they're trying to live their lives. They're trying to, you know, they're just everyday Joes basically trying to make ends meet. The people that you're covering, what do they ask you to relate to the rest of the world? A lot of people I've spoke to wanted me to basically tell the world how badly the United States has failed Afghanistan. They wanted the international community to not abandon them, basically. A lot of them have uh, echoed that sentiment, you know, please do not abandon us, because they feel like with the US troop withdrawal and with the Taliban moving in and taking over and also armed with US armaments and weapons and everything else and, and equipment, 
the Taliban are basically pretty much in control and also have absolute say over their lives. You're still in Afghanistan. What's next for you? I mean, for now, I've committed to stay in Afghanistan for as long as I can to document this historical moment. I plan to remain here and I plan to continue to tell this story that I believe in. And I hope that, you know, things change for the better for the Afghan people. Be safe, man. And thank you so much for this interview. Oh, thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, celebrate tequila. It's a thing, but is it good? I hope so. I need tequila. <laughs> Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. Our intern is Ashley Brown. And this is our last day, so Ashley, you are awesome. Go get them. And our theme music is by Andrew Ipin. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this madre. Gracias. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Please, please, please don't make us the Puchia podcast.